0: culture, a way of life, a lifestyle, the values, traditions, and practices of a specific group of people. All around the world, there are different groups of people, and every group of people has a certain way of doing things. Every family has a special way of life. Who they are shapes what they do, and what they don't do, and what they're like. In Vancouver, Washington, we are a group of students known as citizens. We are a community of students learning to live for Jesus. Like every community, we also have a culture. We read the Bible, God's message to us about life, the world, and Jesus. When we come together, we can't help but get excited. And we sing, passionately declaring truth and thanking God for what He has done. We give, responding to God's generosity by being generous with our money. And we serve, using our God-given talents and abilities to build one another up. This is a place where we connect, welcoming others and forming godly friendships. When we fall down, we confess. And when we have conflict, we come together and we reconcile. Knowing that when Jesus saved us, he brought us together as a family. No matter how imperfect we may be, this is who we are. We are citizens. We are citizens. We are citizens. What's going on citizens, how are you? You guys doing good tonight? Hey. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, if this is your first time at Citizens, uh, my name is Sam, I'm one of the the pastors here at LifePoint, and uh, I'm ready, man, I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Do you know why I'm excited right now? I'm not excited, oh, (laughs) because I had an idea, no, no, I'm not excited because we're about to have cotton candy and, and fun and carnival games, you guys can get there anywhere, you can get there anywhere else, you know why I'm excited tonight? Because for the next 30 minutes, we're going to do what we do every Wednesday, and we're going to open up the Bibles, and we're our Bibles, and we're going to continue to be a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles, I know you brought them, especially my upperclassmen, I know my upperclassmen brought their Bibles, and so go ahead and open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and tonight you guys are going to hear one of my favorite, favorite, favorite passages in the Bible, one of my favorite passages. So as you open up your Bible, true or false? True, I didn't even say it yet. True or false? Conflict is inevitable. You're like false because I don't know what that word means. Conflict is unavoidable. True or false? It's been said that you cannot avoid conflict. You can't avoid conflict. Someone... If you are more than a month old, someone will wrong you. You will have a friend that will fight with you. Someone along your journey will stab you in the back, and you cannot avoid it. Each and every single one of you are going to come to a point where someone is going to do something to you. They're going to wrong you, and there will now be what some call bad blood. And so my question for you tonight is what do you do when you have bad blood? What do you do when there's conflict? What do you do when someone wrongs you? And so what I do is I tend to look to people I respect. I look to people that are, that are wise and have the ability to put their thoughts into words. And so I have one of my favorite poems here from one of my favorite poets and her name is Taylor Swift. And even though Taylor Swift is my girl, I want you to think about, this, think about this poem. Did you have to do this? I was thinking that you could be trusted. Did you have to ruin what was shiny? Now it's all rusted. Did you have to hit me where I'm weak? Baby, I couldn't breathe, and rub it in so deep, salt in the wound, like you're laughing right at me. Oh, it's so sad to think about the good times, you and I. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know we used to be bad love. So take a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey! This is how Taylor Swift responds to bad blood. Did you think we'd be fine? Still got scars in my back from your knives, so don't think it's in the past. These kind of wounds, they last, and they last. Now, did you think it all through? All these things will catch up to you. Everybody goes, is that a threat? And time can heal. But this won't. So if you come in my way, nah, just don't. (laughs) Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. You say sorry just for show. You live like that. You live with ghosts. Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. How do you handle bad blood? Taylor Swift seems to think, That when someone wrongs you, when there is conflict, when someone has offended you, that there's no going back. You've wronged me. You've stabbed me in the back. I still have scars. And so don't think that anything, including time, will heal this. How do you deal with bad blood? Who you are determines what you do, right? That's the series that we're in. For those of you who are joining us, we're in the middle of a series right now called We Are. And the the idea is that we are citizens, and therefore who we are determines what we do. So if we are citizens, how do we handle bad blood? How do we respond when somebody sins against us? How do you respond when someone stabs you in the back? Listen to me here. How do you respond when someone blasts you on Twitter without even tagging you in it? Cowardly. How how do you do when somebody does that behind your back? How do you respond when someone wrongs you? How do you respond when even a parent maybe lets you down? How do you, citizens, respond when there's what some call bad blood? If you think about it, all of you guys can think about incidences right now. And I see you guys kind of with that look in your eye. You've been there, huh? You've experienced when people hurt you. People that you've trusted hurt you. What do you do when you're the one outcasted from the group and everyone else is turning against you now? And they go, don't talk to her. What do you do? If you're like me, there's probably a difference between what you want to do and what you think you ought to do. And that's why we need Matthew 18. If there's a difference between how you handle bad blood and how you should handle bad blood, then check out this passage here. This is Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Jesus is talking about forgiveness. We actually talked about it several weeks ago. I don't know if you remember the Matthew 18 routine. Does anybody remember that? And so right off of that, right off of that he goes into here and listen to what Peter says. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. What do you do, citizens, when you have bad blood? Right off the bat, Jesus calls his family to to be a family of radical forgiveness. He says, citizens, you have bad blood. Here's what I want. I want you to be a family of radical forgiveness. And here's why? Because you will be wronged. Look what he says here. He says, when my brother sins against me. Do you guys know what it means to sin against someone? It means to wrong someone, right? To do them dirty, as we say. This, is, this doesn't mean that like someone accidentally hurt my feelings. Like, oop, I bumped against you. I'm sorry. This is not an accident. This is not someone who who just like, you know, we just kind of have a difference of opinions and so I feel bad. This is someone who purposely, knowing what they were doing, called you out on Twitter. This is when someone goes and spreads lies about you at school and tells other people, did you hear what he did? This is when they are at fault completely, 100%. When someone sins against you. And now they deserve punishment. I know you guys feel like, you know, man, my parents, they sinned against me. They made me clean my room. (laughs) Sam, they sinned against me. Man, I, you know, my my friend, he forgot to respond to my text message, and now, like, I should probably forgive him. No, no, you don't have to forgive people for those things. We're talking about to sin against someone, guys, to wrong them, to, to where they hurt you on purpose, and now they deserve to be punished. When someone sins against you. I said it in the beginning. Conflict is unavoidable. Of course people are going to sin against you. But look at what he says here. Look who he's talking about. Who's sinning against Peter? Who's sinning against Peter? He says, my brother. What about when my brother sins against me? Meaning that we should not be surprised when the very people in this room sin against us. Oh, I expect people from school to talk bad about me. I expect people from school to be weird with confrontation and outcast me. I expect people from school to call me names. But what about when my brother, meaning people in the family of God. We talk, to, we talk about it all the time that God is our father. He's adopted us into his family. And so here we have our brothers, also meaning our sisters, sinning against us. Don't be surprised when the very people in this room, some of the people that you've trusted, that should know better, sin against you. Does it hurt more when someone that you think should know better sins against you? Like, 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 do you feel that, like, man, when people in this room wrong you, that it actually probably hurts a little bit more? Because, dang, like, they're my brother. They're my sister. They should know better. It hurts. But Peter, the assumption here, he, he, he says it. It's it's a reality. My brother is going to sin against me. And so the question that he has here, guys, this is, we're going to get into the story here, but this is all background. The question that he has here, he understands that in chapter 18, Jesus has been talking about forgiveness. And so that's his question. He goes, Jesus, I know my brother, I know my sisters, I know my fellow citizens are going to sin against me. How often should I forgive them? And so we need to talk about forgiveness here. To, To forgive means to not hold it against someone anymore. You guys, man, you listen to Taylor Swift, you listen to whoever else, and, and we have this weird idea of forgiveness. Meaning if to forgive means to forget. That's not what forgiveness means. Can I forget that someone wronged me? Forgiveness is not pretending. Just, you know what? Ah, la, 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 la. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Oh, no, no, never mind. no. Forgiveness is not pretending. It's not trying to just forget about it. It's not just, you know, hey, it means we have to become best friends now and, uh, and pretend like that never happened. No, no. To forgive means I'm no longer going to hold you responsible for what you did. I'm, I'm no longer going to require you to pay for what you've done. Forgiveness says I will not treat you the way that you deserve. And so, guys, think about it. Someone just subtweeted you, right? They deserve to be subtweeted back. Someone just gave you the stank eye across the room They deserve to be given the stank eye back. Someone just wronged you. They confronted you in school and totally just talked down to you, right? Super arrogantly. They deserve to have that back. But forgiveness says, I will not make you pay. I will not make you pay what you deserve to pay. I will not treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. Does that make sense? You understand what forgiveness means? All right, good. That's the background. So here's the question. How many times do I have to do that? How many times? My brother sins against me, and so, like, I know to forgive him. I'm not going to treat him the way he deserves. How many times does he treat me that way before I go, you know what? Enough is enough. And so in the Jewish culture, Jews, they had, they had what's called a three-strikes-and-or-out rule. Okay? They didn't say it like that. There was no baseball in the first century. But the Jews would say, hey, wrong me once, I forgive you. Wrong me twice, I forgive you, wrong me three times, you're dead to me. Bye-bye, right? You're no longer my Facebook friend. I'm going to pretend like you don't exist. Three strikes and you're out. That was the Jewish culture. And some of you guys are like, yep, that's what I do. (laughs) Oh, one strike and you're out, homie, right? Three strikes and you're gone. That was the Jewish culture. But look what Peter says here. He says, Lord, I can just just imagine Peter being like, oh, I, I pick up what you're putting down, Jesus, I smell what you're stepping in. Ooh, I'm catching what you're throwing. I see forgiveness. So you mean like seven times. And all the disciples were like, oh, right? And Peter's just like, Psh, yeah, I said it. Right? Seven times, right, Jesus? And what does Jesus say to him? Yeah, seven times. Here's your punch out card. Clip it every time someone sins against you. No, no. He looks at Peter and he goes, you're not getting what I'm saying here. He goes, not seven times. 70 times seven. And so now all the eighth graders in the back are putting out their calculator going 70 times se- 400. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's not the point. Jesus is not saying on the 491st time they're dead to you. What is he saying? He go, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven, right? Seven times seven, whatever. Just, no, he says, forgive with no limit. Don't even try counting. That was super countercultural. That was that was not normal for that Jewish culture to forgive without limit. What am I supposed to be a doormat, Jesus? Am I like am I supposed to just get taken advantage of, man? These group of girls they keep sinning against me, and I'm supposed to just not treat them back like that's gonna make me look weak, isn't it, man? These guys, I'm man, I thought they were my friends. They're Christians, like we go to citizens, and they just keep like pushing me around and like being mean to me, and they're just. They're they're, they're cutting me down, and I'm supposed to forgive them how many times without limit? What does that even mean? Does that even make any sense? To forgive without limit is just as countercultural. It's just as bizarre a thought today as it was in the the, the Jewish day there. They had the three-strike-you're-out rule. We don't necessarily have that, but we have a culture that says, I will pay you back for every last sin that you've done. If someone wrongs your group, someone wrongs your click, right? Your set, this is what you do, right? Tell me tell me, don't do this. We outcast you. This is what this is what happens, guys, even in our own youth group. We outcast you, we give you the stank eye, we make sure everyone in the circle knows that you're an outcast, and you will pay for every lesson that you've done. And then when you've done what you've deserved, then we can bring you back like an injured animal. Limping into our group. And then we can have this awkward kind of relationship where we kind of go, yeah, sorry. And kind of pretend like that didn't happen. That's dysfunctional. That's not healthy. Guys, that is seriously messed up. And Jesus says, no, no, no. we don't do that in our family. In my family, in the citizens community, we forgive without limit. We forgive. We refuse to give people what they deserve. And just like in Peter's day, this is countercultural. This is not the way we do things normally. But that's why Jesus is teaching us, citizens, right? And so this doesn't make any sense. To be honest, this really makes no sense. We go, wait, wait. wait. I'm just continuing to forgive. I'm, I'm not supposed to teach them a lesson? God, how are they ever gonna learn, right? Like, like, you really expect me to forgive without limit? Like, I just. This doesn't make any sense. And so here we go. Jesus says, well, then let me help you make sense of it. Hey, ladies, you continue to outcast people. You continue to make your friends and, and, and who sin against you, you continue to make them, you continue to treat them the way that they deserve. Guys, people wrong you. You continue to treat them the way that you deserve. And Jesus says, let me show you what that's like. And he begins to tell us a story. And this portion of scripture is my favorite passage of scripture in the gospel of Matthew. Listen to this. This is what Jesus says. He goes, therefore, follow along with me. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Talent was a a unit of money. You're like, he had how many skills? This guy's amazing. No, no, talent is a unit of money, but we'll get there. We'll get there, right? He owed him 10,000 talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant, he fell on his knees imploring, meaning begging him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Pause. This is the first scene, right? The the very first scene we have here. We're going to do three quick scenes of, of 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 our story. This is the desperate man and a merciful master, okay? Look at it again. A desperate man and a merciful master. So look what happens. You have the king, right? The king's here, and he says, you know what? I'm going to settle my accounts, meaning people owe me money. It's time to pick up the phone and go, Pinsky, check's due, right? All right, he owes me money. Lily, time to pay the debts, right? And so all these people now are coming to the king, writing their checks, paying them. But then there was the one. And this one guy, he came, and look how much he owed him, 10000 Talents, you guys, those of you who don't even have jobs, you're not even going to be able to conceive of this, right? If I were to tell you a week's worth of salary, you're like, yeah, a week, I'll take it, right? Check this out, dude. A talent is 30 years worth of wages, okay? Why would he use such an odd number? A talent was the biggest monetary unit they had. Like, there was nothing bigger than a talent, right? That's like saying a $100 bill. Is there anything bigger than a $100 bill? Is there a $1,000 bill? All right, so is there anything bigger than a $1,000 bill? That's a talent, right? The biggest monetary unit you have. I don't know if there's a $1,000 bill. We'll Google that after, right? But check it out. He says, he says not only did he owe a talent, he owed 10,000 talents. So if you work for 30 years, you'll make a talent. 30 times 1,000, 10,000. Wait, what is he saying? Guys, this is a, this is a hopeless situation. The biggest number that the Romans had was 10,000, right? There's like, it's like in that day, you couldn't count anything bigger than that. That's like saying a zillion. What does that even mean, right? 10,000 talents. This guy had no hope. A hopeless situation. He was a desperate man. And so what do you do when you owe 10,000 talents and you come before the king and he says, hey, time to pay up? You pull out your pockets, you collect some coins, you take an offering. You cannot pay it. And so what they would do in the ancient world is, he'd go, okay, so you can't pay it? Well, good luck, because you're going to start working for it. All right, sell them. Do I hear $100, $100 for this desperate man, $100. And he starts selling the people. This is what the king can do. He starts selling him and all of his possessions and his family like an indentured servant, basically going, oh, you can't pay your bill? Get in the kitchen, and you're going to work for the next, I don't know, 5,000 years to pay off your bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, does that make sense? And so here he is. He can't pay anything And he's about to get sent off to prison to work off his payment, which is impossible. This is a life sentence. He's going to be there forever. And so what would you do? What would you do? You owe the king 10,000 talents. You have a debt that you cannot pay. This guy does the only thing that he knows how to do. He falls on his knees. And he's like, king, please, 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 please. He implores him. It says that he begs him, wait, please, please give me another chance. Be patient with me. you got to look at the words here that he uses. It's super important. He says, he, he, he implored him on his knees, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Could this guy pay him? If he worked, did he pay him? Oh, just give me another week, and I'll make 10,000 he just He was desperate, though. He was saying whatever he could to get out of the situation. Please. Have patience with me. I will pay it. That's a desperate man. But there's also a merciful master. And what does the master do? What does the king do? He looks at him and it says that he has pity on him. Imagine you look at a man who's about to have everything in his life sold, his wife, his children, his possessions, and he's right there, right? I could just imagine the king chilling on the throne, and, and he's not, he doesn't know the guy, it's nothing personal. He goes, hey, you owe me money, you can't pay it, so you're going to go work it off. I'm going to make some, some of my money back, right? Something is better than nothing. And, and he's like, next, and he's moving in his way, and I just imagine the guy's getting dragged. He's like, no, wait, please, and he breaks free, and he comes down, he gets on his knees, and, he's, and he just grabs the king's foot, and he's like have patience with me, please, I will pay it. And the king was getting ready to go next and he pauses and he looks and he goes, and he looks at him and it says he has pity on him, right? He has compassion. This is a kind king. And so he looks at him and he says, you're asking me for more time to pay it? Yes, I am, I'm asking for more time. He goes, you know what? I'm not gonna give you more time. I'm gonna erase the debts. I release you from your debt. I will not treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. I will not make you pay what you ought to pay. And it says that he released him of his debts and forgave him. That's scene one. What do you think of that? Is that wild? Right? Like you, I'm trying to think of a debt that you would understand. Like, for those of you who don't get money, like... (laughs) Like, like imagine you come to your, to your mom, right, and she's like, hey, you haven't cleaned the bathroom in 15 years, your whole life. Right now, I want all those hours back. You owe me that many hours of bathroom cleaning. You're like, no, please, I'll give you 10,000 talents, right. Some of you guys are like, I've never touched a bathroom scrub in my life. Uh, except for those of you who plunged, right. What? The golden plunger of courage. But like imagine, guys, you are a desperate situation. You cannot pay it back. That's what it's like in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not telling a movie here for Hollywood. He's saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he points. He goes, see this desperate man? See this merciful master? That was your situation. What are you talking about? I've never owed anybody a dime in my life. He goes, yeah, but you know what, your sin... The debt that you've racked up from all the wrong you've done, it is as desperate of a situation. It is as hopeless. You have as little chance to pay God back for the sin you've done as this dude has to pay the king back. And friends, some of you maybe you're you're, you're, you're new here or maybe you're just even beginning your, your faith. You need to understand that what we're preaching here is not this like, hey, you're kind of a good person, but you just need a little you need a little rounding, right? You need to become a little bit of a better person. We are not in the business of making people better here at Citizens. We're not, I'm not inviting you out every Wednesday so that you can be a good kid, right? We're here reading the Bible, coming to Jesus because our situation is so desperate and hopeless that unless someone else pays our debt, guys, we're gone. You don't have a little bit of sin that you need to wipe off your face, right? Hey, you got a little smudge right there. Guys, you're drenched, <laughs> You're dead, the Bible says, spiritually dead, and you have as little chance of paying God back for your sin as this man does. But Jesus, he points, he points here, he goes, that's you. And just as you're starting to go, holy cow, wow, all right, wow, it's still sinking in oh dear God, I'm hopeless. And now finally you come to the point where you're on your knees and you come and you beg for mercy. And then this is what Jesus does. He takes his finger and now he points here and he goes, but that's what God is like. God is a merciful master that when someone comes to him imploring, right, just so aware of their hopelessness that the only thing they can say is, please have patience with me. God, please, I'll pay you back. God, I'll, I'll go to church every day in my life. I'll read my Bible. I'll even get baptized. I'll go to youth group. God, I will pay you back. Please save me from hell. God, please, let me give me an opportunity. I will make up for all the wrong I've done. And that's what we do. And here, God, the merciful master, he looks at us and he, and he kind of with that grandfatherly eye, that like knowing smile of like, you know you're a fool. <laughs> you know you can't pay this back. But you don't, I'm not going to give you an opportunity to pay me back. I'm going to erase your debt. And those of us who are Christians, those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, it's because we were this man and we've met the merciful master. And so that's why, friends, that's why we're here at Citizens. That's why this is a priority, doing community. That's why we live for Jesus. That's why we sing songs about him. Because he has forgiven us our debt. Have you guys experienced forgiveness? Raise your hand if you've experienced the forgiveness of God in your life. Who are you? Yeah, yeah. Guys, that's why we get baptized, right? When you get baptized, it's like an illustration. It's a statement going, I've been washed clean. My debt is paid. Some of you guys in this room, there's 10 people in this room that are getting baptized on Easter Sunday. Do you guys know that? (laughs) Ten of you? Yeah, dude, that's we're gonna celebrate. And so on Easter Sunday, there's 10 of you guys, and, and if you're here and you want to get baptized and you've yet to be baptized, come and talk to me. We'll make it happen, right? But that's what you're doing. You're making a statement. You're getting in the tank, and you're coming out clean, and you're going, dude, that's what Jesus has done for me. He's washed me of my sin. He's paid my debt. A desperate man and a merciful master. Let's go to the second scene, shall we? You, it would be a great story if it ended there, wouldn't it? Everybody go, aw, that's a happy ending. Look at him and the merciful master. Oh, that cool little desperate man. He's skipping down the lane. I've been forgiven, right? It's St. Patrick's Day. I don't know. That just came out, right? It's coming. It would be such a great story right there. Everyone go home. Thank Jesus that he has, you know, wiped away your sin and we'll be good. Look how the story continues. And guys, warning, rated M for mature right here, all right? This is kind of cray-cray what's about to happen. Check it out. Verse 28, but when that same servant, so here's the servant. Oh, man, I can't even read four words without stopping. Here's the servant. He gets off his knees. He's sent away forgiven. The tears are still in his eyes, and he goes, thank you, thank you. And he walks down the road, and look what he says. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! The guy tries to get away. Wait, pay what you owe! He chokes him out. His body slams him to the floor. And his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. And guys, deja vu alert. Here's the man walking down the road. He choke slams the dude, he's on the floor. The dude rolls over, gets on his knees, looks up to him, and what does he say? His fellow servant says, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This is a foolish man and his forgetful memory. This man, he got up. The tears were still wet on his cheeks. And he's walking away. And what happens? He runs into a guy who owes him a 100 denarii. Let me put this in, like, American modern-day terms. You just got forgiven $10 billion, and this dude owes you $1,000. Hmm. You just deserved the death penalty and a life sentence This guy put a dent in your car with his shopping cart. Right? (laughs) That resonated for some reason. You guys drive, right? Like, dude, not the car. Too far. But here he is, right? This desperate man, he's now a forgetful man because what happens? He goes and he sees the guy, right? He just came from the king's court. He just had his debt erased and he looks at this guy and he grabs him. Pay me what you owe me. Choke slams him. He has forgotten that he just walked away scot-free. And he grabs this guy, puts him in a chokehold in a full Nelson, and he's trying to exact some dimes off of him? You owe me like a month's wage. Dude, you just got forgiven 10,000 years of wages. But he doesn't remember that. Do you see how absurd this is? Do you see, like, do you, like honestly, do you see how silly this is? Right? You just came from the principal's office And you owed him a 1,000 days of detention. You run into your buddy in the hallway, and he tripped you, and you're going, you will spend two days in detention. I mean, like, it's just the the, the difference between what these two guys owe is huge. And so here he is. And, guys, you ever have, like, one of those deja vu moments? How many of you experience deja vu? And you're like, and, dude, every day, right? And you're like, Dude, and you're like, I either literally have a supernatural ability or my brain is just that forgetful. But you have these moments where you go, I feel like I was just here. Say something. And you're like, what do you want me to say? See? Yes, I see. That's exactly what you said in my dream too. And it's just like, wait, what are you saying? And just like it never ends. This was not deja vu. This literally did happen. This wasn't a feeling. He was literally in this situation except, where was he? He was on the floor. And now here he is standing here. And he choke holds the guy, slams him. The guy looks up at him. And he, what does he say? Please have patience on me. If he had forgotten, I don't know, what happened maybe two minutes ago. He's walking out of the gates. He completely already forgot what happened two minutes ago. Do you think that these words would at least spark his memory? Please have patience on me. I, just, I feel like he should have at least gone, wait a minute. Where did I just hear those words? Ah, uh, Did I just watch a movie last night? Was it on Netflix? Where did I have patience on me? That's so familiar. How about what you just said two minutes ago? You were the one screaming, have patience on me. And here's the man saying, have patience on me. I will pay it. And how does this guy respond? The one who has just been forgiven much and now is owed a tiny bit. How should he respond? How should he respond to the bad blood here? But how does he respond to the bad blood here? Takes the guy, he throws him in prison, and he goes, I'm going to make you pay me every last dime that you owe me. He doesn't forgive him. He doesn't, he doesn't not treat him the way that he deserves. He treats this man exactly the way that he deserves to be treated. Do I need to say any more on the absurdity, on how crazy the situation is? Are you, are you guys seeing how, how, how weird this is? I think it was exactly this quiet when Jesus told the parable. They were like, oh snap. A foolish man in his forgetful memory. What would you do if you were in that situation? You just witnessed it. What if you were the guy that was, you, you were one of the ladies or one of the guys, you were dragging away the servant in scene one. He pushed you to the side, he ran down, and you're here, and you're watching this entire exchange. And then he gets sent free, and you're like, wow. The king literally forgave him that much? And you're just like, wow. And you're walking out, following that guy back to town. And maybe like 10 yards ahead of you, you see him chokehold this man. And you're the servant, right? And you're the servant, and you go, he just did what? What? And look what the servants do. They're going to they're run back. Watch this. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. Are you guys distressed by this scene? Do you look at this foolish man and you just go, ew. Like, are you serious? I'm distressed. Like, like it, it's, it sounds funny, but it's more than ew, right? It's like, are you kidding me? Like, Jesus wasn't, like, like he wants you to feel the disgustingness, the wickedness of this man's heart. Do you feel it? Do you see how wicked this man's heart is? And so the servants, they look at that, and they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Dum dum dum. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. How long will it take him to pay all of his debt? His whole life. He's dying before 10,000 years, right? That's like when people get 17 life sentences and they do the math. And they go, wait a minute, so when am I getting out of here? And the judge is like, exactly. Gives him a life sentence here. And so Jesus, he concludes the story. He wraps it up and he goes, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The last scene, this is a foolish man and his frightful fate. The foolish man and his frightful fate. The man who who fails to forgive his fellow servant. Did you guys catch that? It wasn't that, like, this is a king and a servant. He couldn't even forgive servant to servant. His brother, his fellow sister in the family of God. He's a foolish man. And because of that, the reward gets back to the master. And what's his fate? The master says, I forgave you all of that. Should you not have also forgiven your brother? I forgave you a debt that you could never in a million years pay. Do you not think that you could have remembered that and not treated your sister the way that she deserved to be treated? And because you failed to forgive, you've proven yourself, you've disqualified yourself from forgiveness, and you will now spend your life in prison. That's what it's like in the kingdom of God. So how do you deal with bad blood? How do you handle people who have wronged you? Jesus, he calls us to radical forgiveness. Guys, he calls us to a radical forgiveness. And at first it doesn't make sense. But when you think about it, when you look at the story, it's actually the only thing that does make sense. Because how can you demand others pay their debt when Jesus has paid yours? How can you demand that others pay their debt when you've just been forgiven and Jesus has paid your debt? Friends, you've stood before God begging, right? That's what what repentance is. You come and you go, I'm sorry, God. I now realize how much I've sinned. I now realize that I wasn't living the design of the creator of the universe. God, I'm sorry. Please have patience on me. I'll pay you back. And God looks at you with pity, with compassion. And he says, you know what? I'm going to release you of your debt. And he points over to that guy, and he, and he says, see Jesus there? See what he did on the cross? That's enough. Jake, you come to God, and you go, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'll pay you back. I'll do it. And he, and he goes, hey, you know what? I release you of your debt. Well, that's not fair. Are you, like, sweeping it under the rug? He goes, no, no, no. See Jesus on the cross? That's enough. But God, I'm so sorry. I like the way I talk to my parents, and man, the way I treat kids at school. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I'll make up for it. I'll do good things. He goes, stop, stop, stop. See what Jesus did? That's enough. He will pay your debt. What he has done was enough. He took the the punishment that you deserved, so that you don't have to pay it anymore. And so when God, when Jesus calls us to radical forgiveness, when he calls us to forgive each other in this room without limit, at first we all go, dude, that doesn't make sense. Wait a minute, time out. Without limit, actually it's the only thing that does make sense. Because how can you make other people pay their debt when Jesus has paid yours? How can you get up from the youth group? How can you get off of your knees from baptism? How can you leave this building singing about the forgiveness of God, and then you go to school, you go home, you go to your teammates, and now you're going to treat them the way that they deserve to be treated when you just reminded yourself that Jesus didn't treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. Friends, here at Citizens, who we are determines what we do. And so we are citizens, and therefore, we forgive. We forgive. We forgive. Oh, man, this is, we don't do this because it's the nice thing to do. We don't do this because we're nice people and we just want to be respected by other people. We do this because it's the only thing that makes sense. We do this with each other in this room. We know that it's unavoidable. We know people are going to sit against us. We know, guys, look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you, Right? That person is going to sin against you. Say, bummer. Bummer. Right? Guys, seriously, this person will sin against you. They will wrong you. And you will have bad blood. And how do you respond? Guys, the only way to respond is we forgive. Because we realize that Jesus has forgiven us. He's paid our debt. So how can we make others pay theirs? And so here's how we're going to respond, guys. Here's how we're going to respond. And this is, guys, we're talking about this. The reason why this is one of our core we are's, the reason why this is one of our core statements is because it's so valuable. It is so needed, friends. Everything in your culture, including Taylor Swift, is telling you, put a chip on your shoulder, toughen up, and say, oh yeah, who cares? Guys, we care. We are not... We are not going to tolerate a culture of people here that have dysfunctional conflict skills. We're not going to be a group of people that if Max hurts me, I'm going to now tell all of my friends to not be friends with Max because we're going to treat him the way that he deserves to be treated. And then when we make him pay enough for his sins, then he can come back into the group now and we'll kind of pretend like that didn't happen. That is unacceptable in the family of God. That is not how we handle bad blood. That is not how we handle people sinning against us. We don't demand that other people pay their debt because Jesus has paid ours. To do that would be as absurd as this man chokeholding his fellow servant. Hashtag don't choke hold your fellow servant. We're making t-shirts. It's gonna be everywhere. It's gonna be in the room. It's gonna be don't choke hold your fellow servants. It's as simple as that. Don't tell your parents that we talked about that, please. Dang it, it's on the podcast, right? So, friends, here's how we're gonna respond, okay? We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And so we're gonna have leaders come up here. Tessa, you can start with the band. We're gonna we're gonna just play some music. And here's what we're gonna do. Listen here, eyes up here. I want everybody focusing for a moment, okay? As we do communion, we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the juice, and that's going to be our reminder. Jesus has paid our debts. We're going to take communion together. You guys can get in your groups. You can do whatever you want to do. We're going to sing about it. But friends, time out. Pause. Guys, eyes up here. We cannot celebrate what Jesus has done for us if we still have unforgiveness in our own heart. How can you come down here, take communion, and go, thank you, thank you, thank you. But there's still people over here that you're chokeholding and saying, hey, you still owe me. I still, you still, you still have a debt to pay. And so here's what I am going to do. We're gonna have some organized chaos here. We're gonna have some family time, okay? I'm gonna, we're gonna stand in a moment. You guys are gonna feel free to come down for communion. And, and just, if you, have, if you have business in your heart that you need to take care of, I want you to do that. If there's people in your heart that you have yet to forgive, that you've yet to make a decision, I will not hold it against them, you need to do that tonight. Before you come down and take communion, I want you to stop and do that. If there's people in this very room, guys, that have sinned against you and you have not forgiven them, do that tonight. Remember what we said in the beginning. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to become best friends again. Well, those are, those are, there's more involved there, but it means making a decision. I will not make you pay what you deserve to pay. I will not treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. So I want you guys to stand, and tonight we're going to respond by forgiving and celebrating Christ's forgiveness. Stand with me and let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for for this story, God, this parable. It, it, it gets us kind of out of our own skin, God. We look at it and we just go, oh, God, what is, what? How could someone do that? But, Lord, then you take the parable and you point at us and you go, well, that's what you're doing when you don't forgive. So, God, I pray that you would forgive us for not forgiving. Lord, forgive this community. Forgive these young ladies. Forgive these young guys who are, making, are treating other people the way that they deserve to be treated. When we come here and raise our hands and sing and, and take communion and remember that you've paid our debt, God. So, Lord, I pray that not just tonight, but for many years to come, this would be a community of students who are learning to forgive. This would be a community of students that has such a supernatural ability to forgive others because they're motivated by the cross of Jesus. I pray that other people, Lord, that that aren't citizens yet would see this and be attracted to it and go, Man, everything that they do in that community, it smells like and looks like Jesus. And so, God, tonight as we take communion, we're celebrating your forgiveness for us. But then, Lord, we also want to forgive one another. So give us the grace to do that. Give us the strength in our hearts, God. Even when our feelings aren't there, help us to make that decision, God, to forgive. We love you, Father. We thank you that you're a merciful master. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel free. Move around, guys. Come take communion.